It's the very reason why we created the Great Lakes Divide, covering both sides of it, and it all leads to this week. Michigan, Michigan State with Adam Biggers. I'm Ryan Schuling. On Friday, we'll have a full preview breakdown of the game itself, the ins, the outs, the X's, the O's, the advantages, the disadvantages, and our picks. That's all coming up Friday, so stay tuned for that. Today, we reflect back on the weekend wins, where each team stands coming into this week, and also sound from head coach Jim Harbaugh, head coach uh, Mark D'Antonio, Ambry Thomas of Michigan, commenting on a counterpart of his for Michigan State. They were high school teammates. They are college enemies. Tyreek Thompson being on the other side of that for MSU. Also had a chance myself at the availability this week, although it was very limited. Mark D'Antonio answered a couple of my questions, and also the captain's Kari Willis, Joe Bocci, question I had about the team meeting, the outcome of that, how they knew it was going to work and when they knew it during the game against Penn State. And then for Brian Lewerke, just his feel for being down to like his fifth or sixth string receiver and knowing that he's got Felton Davis to throw to. And you won't be able to see it, but you can hear it in his voice. His face lights up, he smiles, and I think anybody would if they had Felton Davis as a target. So we'll get to plenty of that. Once again, all brought to you by Federal Williams, our good friends there. Realty, both buying and selling. If you're in the market here in mid-October, you can contact Mike Williams today. Find out more online at F-E-D-E-R-A-U. That's federalwilliams.com. Bring in Adam Biggers, who you can follow on Twitter at A-D-A-M-B-I-G-G-E-R-S 81, Adam Biggers 81. Follow me at Ryan Schuling, S-C-H-U-I-L-I-N-G, and follow us all at GL Divide on both Facebook and Twitter. All of our available content is posted at greatlakesdivide.com. And this very podcast, you can download, subscribe to it using the iTunes search engine. Adam, looking back on Wisconsin and Michigan, I think this is the second time we said going into a weekend matchup that, hey, this is going to be tougher than people think. It'll be closer than people think. I thought it would be lower scoring, and uh, for one part, I guess Wisconsin's that was right. But Michigan absolutely puts on a clinic. They dominate Wisconsin 38-13. The game really, to me, didn't even feel that close. Give us your reflections, if you would, on the Wolverines' performance and what stood out to you the most. Yeah, Ryan, I I remember talking about Nebraska being Michigan's most dominant win. You might be able to chalk this one up as Michigan's best win overall for Jim Harbaugh's ranked opponent, college game day event, night game. Primetime on on uh, ABC. And, yeah, 38-13, I mean, the Badgers got a late touchdown. It didn't even feel that close. I mean, this had the same type of feel as as Michigan versus Nebraska. I mean, just, uh, you know, without maybe some of the extra bells and whistles, like a punt return touchdown from DPJ or something like that. But, I mean, Shea Patterson with the 81-yard uh, run, that was his longest of his career. It's like one of the top 15 runs in Michigan history and a few if you uh, exclude Denard Robinson out of that, it's probably like the top two runs <laughs> in Michigan history um, from a quarterback. So uh, I'm not for sure on that, but I'm sure Denard's got most of those ones. But yeah, it was it was overall just a uh, a complete, like you said, a, a clinic by Michigan. And this was the type of game where I think the Wolverines they call it a statement game. And I think you know people who were doubting the Wolverines they they said they want to see what they do against Wisconsin. Ryan, if you remember, I I wanted I I was I was pretty sold on the offensive line. I liked the progression of the offense, and if you remember, I said I just need one more question answered from the O line, 
one more, guys. And they answered it. They play the best football of, their, of the season against a good Wisconsin team. Michigan's offensive line was undoubtedly the MVP of that game. Jim Harbaugh said earlier this week uh, that Jawan Bushel Beatty, the, the uh, starting right tackle, played his best football of the season, his best football since he's been at Michigan. So we're looking at an offensive line that's clicking. Uh, you know, Beatty obviously being a key component there on the edge, that right tackle. We saw John Runyon Jr. at left tackle. He's playing much better. Cesar Ruiz, Ben Bredesen at left guard. Cesar at center. Mike Onwenu at right guard. I mean, we're, you're seeing Michigan's offensive line really come together at a critical point in the season. And, and Ryan, I was impressed. Uh, 444 total yards, 320 on the ground against Wisconsin. I mean, I can't, I can't really recall too many teams putting up 320 rushing yards against Wisconsin. Maybe Wisconsin doing that to somebody but not having it done to them. So uh, it was a thorough win for Michigan. And I think if anybody had any doubts about Michigan being uh, one of the best, you know, going back to my one-loss team argument, I, I think Michigan is the best one-loss team in college football. When I wrote that piece a couple of weeks ago, I thought that it was on its way to being. So still number one ranked defense. I mean, you know, yada, 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 go through all the numbers. Michigan's a really good team. And I think that we, uh, there shouldn't really be any doubt uh, after Saturday's 38-13 win over Wisconsin. That 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 proved it. That was the uh, that was the kicker right there. I'll give you credit, Adam, because you came out with the best one-loss team thing. I think a lot before anybody was either thinking it or willing to believe it. But what I watched in that home dismantling of Wisconsin answered that question just as you stated. I might put LSU in that conversation and argument, but that would be the only other team right now as I look at the top ten that is on Michigan's level, the way that they've played, uh, the the emphatic nature of this particular win. And one thing I want to go back to is the sheer dominance up front for Michigan against the Wisconsin offensive line, in particular in the passing game, because Alex Hornerbrook was a mess. They went away from him. He had two interceptions, only 100 yards passing. They couldn't get anything going through the air. A lot of that was pressure up front. They did it without Rashawn Gary, which I want to point out to our listeners Adam knew ahead of time that Rashawn wasn't likely not to play, but we know that as questionable as he might have been coming in, they had a sure thing in Chase Winovich. I loved his quotes after this game, the spirit with which he plays, the leadership he exudes on the defensive line. What about Michigan up front against that Wisconsin offensive line led to them dominating that matchup so much? Well, I think uh, Michael Dwumfor back actually was big for, for the interior. You know, mm-hmm. give, give him some interior push. Michael didn't have the stats, but uh, if, if you watch some of this film, I mean, he was he was making blocks that were allowing uh, guys to get in the backfield. He cleared the way uh, for for uh, Devin Bush to chase down Alex Hornibrook. Uh He cleared the way for, for uh, it would have been a sack for Josh Uche on Alex Hornerbrook, but it was it was a holding on, offense, on Wisconsin's offensive line. And, I mean, Wisconsin's offensive line, if you look back, some of the, they were trying to suplex Chase Winovich. They were, they were tackling Chase more than Chase was tackling, uh, uh, Badgers. And it, it was Michigan's defensive line just knows that it's got this power. And I mean, when you have a, a, a personality like Chase Winovich, who right now is the, is the, is the face of Michigan's defense, you know, and, and the face of that D line. I mean, we could talk about, you know, what, what does it mean for Rashawn Gary to be out? I mean, Okay, let's talk about what does it mean for Rashawn Gary to be out? Uh, Michigan's D-line hasn't really missed a step. I mean, Josh Uche is really emerging in in, uh, in Gary's absence. 
We're seeing Aiden Hutchinson get in there as well. I mean, this is a uh, quitty pay. There are, there's a ton of depth. Having Michael Dwumfor back uh, helps. And, I mean, like you said, I mean, you got Chase Winovich. I mean, he's a charismatic leader. Uh, he, he described this as the revenge tour. So uh, kind of funny from, from my live stream, and you're familiar with Wes Weber. He provides a lot of stats for me um, and tweets them at GL Divide. He's uh, making a graphic with Chase Winovich. He's got that with the the long 80s rocker hair is what we're calling it now. It, it's pretty versatile. You can describe in several ways. Going to use a Metallica font and call it Revenge Tour, like a concert T-shirt. And Wes actually has already tweeted that out. So, I mean, people are having fun with it. And Chase, Chase Winovich, always good for a quote. And here's the thing about Chase, Ryan. I think you can agree. For as colorful and playful and confident and everything that Chase Winovich wants to be during his interviews, he's a guy who backs it up. I mean, 100%. He does not write a check that his his mouth can't cash. And this guy has been playing at an unreal level all season, been playing at an unreal, I mean, he was playing at a high level last year. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think Chase Winovich right now is playing like the best defensive end in college football. And he used the word ecosystem in the post-game interview on the field uh, for ESPN, which I was absolutely floored by. I mean, the guy's got a, a – it's like a beautiful mind, Adam. There's a lot going on up there as he's trying to process answers and response to questions. Very intellectual guy. I don't know that I've ever met a football player quite like him. I And, I mean, not even just football player, just person in general, really. I mean, there's certain, peop- certain people, you know, regardless of what their job or what their talent or hobby or whatever, there are certain people you recognize that just have, like, this kind of it factor about them. They just have that personality, the, like that aura. Chase is one of those guys. So, I mean, I can imagine in a team setting to where a guy like Chase Winovich is invaluable. And, again, Ryan, going back to um, – you know, Chase's comment in the beginning of the year about, you know, not being voted a captain. He's not worried about a popularity contest. And, you know, it, it stung him a little bit. I don't know if that's been motivation. I'm, not that he needed the extra motivation. But, I mean, Chase Winovich is playing like the captain of the defense. Chase Winovich is definitely viewed as a leader of this team, regardless if he has a captain title or not. And, um, yeah, Chase, Chase is one. I said this the other day um, during my live stream. I'm going to. I'm going to miss Chase, you know, because this is his last year at Michigan and uh, he'll play on Sundays for sure. But you don't run into too many guys like Chase who are willing to just speak what's on their mind and not give you, you know, just the run in the mill PC. We got to play hard. And I mean, and yeah, they do that stuff applies. And I'm not knocking guys who say that. But I mean, let's let's be honest here. Chase Winovich in, in a world of vanilla, Chase weren't Chase Winovich gives you the, you know, whatever flavor you're craving you know and especially in the world of vanilla ryan you know that sports media media in general can be very vanilla you know it's the same pc quote it's the same type of question and you know just replace team a with team b player x with player y chase winovich it it goes off the beaten path you know what i mean chase winovich gives you something a little bit and that and and that's i think what makes it interesting so there's a there's my ode to Chase right there. Are you going to put a music bed behind that? It'll sound real nice. Yeah, I'm going to put My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. You can count okay, on it. I was thinking Ode to My Family by the Cranberries. Either way, we can – either way, um, yeah, Chase Winovich is a special college football player, and uh, he's got a great personality as well. So, 
Uh, Chase, to me, even if uh, from a Michigan State fan perspective, you have to appreciate the passion with which he plays the game. It's a compliment that Mark D'Antonio gave the Michigan Wolverines this week and their play under Jim Harbaugh. It was a love fest, and Adam and I will talk more about that as the week goes on in our Friday preview. But the one thing I'll say about Spartan fans and Chase Winovich, you're going to hate him, but you're going to love to hate him, and you're going to hate to love him And he brings an element to this game that the rivalry thrives on, and that is texture, that is color, that is personality. He makes this game this week more fun. He makes watching college football more fun. He makes covering college football for Adam and me more fun. Michigan State has their complement of players like that too. I would compare him to Felton Davis, where I can go to Felton and ask him a question, I don't know what he's going to say. And that makes it exciting because you're not going to get the standard quote out of either Winovich or Felton Davis, and they're both phenomenal players to go with it. I mean A-plus level. So back to Michigan, a 38-13 win over Wisconsin. Another thing that surprised me in this game, and in a good way for the Wolverines, is they were able to match basically dollar for dollar the running game with Jonathan Taylor, one of the best in the business, he had a good game, a decent game, not an outstanding game, with just over 100 yards, 101 on 17 carries. But Karan Higdon had 19 for 105. And two of the three touchdown runs, Adam, you were there, were by quarterbacks for Michigan. Shea Patterson, when he exploded down the left sideline, the people I was watching the game with, I'm like, that's Shea Patterson. Like, that wasn't Shea Patterson. That was Shea Patterson. Trust me, oh, that was a wildcat for me. Yeah, he was a wildcat, all right, sprinting down the left sideline faster than anything I ever remember him doing. I knew he was a decent athlete, but he was a great athlete on that play. And then, oh, by the way, Dylan McCaffrey showing a little bit of the flash that Michigan fans can look forward to there. I guess I start with this question, which guy's the faster runner? That's a difficult one. And then secondly, we talk about trick plays, and you're going to get to that with Coach D'Antonio in just a little bit. Adam, are there formations where you might be able to put Patterson and McCaffrey on the field at the same time? I wouldn't put a pat. And don't forget, uh, uh, Zach Gentry is a former quarterback, former four-star quarterback. And, you know, we talk about the ratings don't matter. Regardless, he was a highly touted quarterback coming out of high school. So Michigan has some, just like, I mean, I mentioned this the other day, go back to uh, Little Giants. I mean, Aaron Bates was a former high school quarterback. So, I mean, that that play worked well for him from the, from the, uh, he was the holder holder on that uh, on that play, so that that worked well for the Spartans because Bates had put had some. You're looking at some guy athletes, and maybe even Joe Milton, quarterback Joe Milton. Joe's got some wheels too, but who's faster out of Dylan and Shea? I think Dylan is actually the faster one. Uh, Dylan's got that long wow. long gear stride. Shea's got that burst, but I feel like the Dylan's got like that horse gallop. Like the longer he goes, the faster. Um, Shea joked around and said he ran out of gas at the 10-yard line, and that's why he was pushed out of bounds. I mean, uh, you know, he wanted to score. It was the longest run of his career. Uh, but, I mean, you can't you can't knock 81 yards from a quarterback. I mean, that's, you can't knock 81 yards from anybody. But that was, a, that was an incredible run. But, yeah, I think Dylan's faster, and I think actually Joe Milton might be faster than Dylan McCaffrey. So, I mean, they got some quick quarterbacks. They got to, you know, factor in you know, so many different – so many different uh, trinkets on this offense, Ryan, that, and that, that I believe, I mean, I would not be surprised if Michigan wants to get tricky. I would not be surprised if Ambry Thomas is involved in that. And Ambry, as I've joked about on Twitter, really bad at keeping a secret. <laughs> his, body, his body language and smiles give it away. Uh, it, he'd be a terrible poker player, put it that way. And uh, 
I think I think Am- I think Ambry might be involved in some in some trick stuff from Michigan. And you know, again, we've talked earlier in the year with Zach Gentry about trick plays, not even pertaining to Michigan State. And I mean, Zach's still got an arm; he could still throw a football. So I mean, um, no holds are barred Saturday, uh, as you know. I mean, we're going to see if we're going to see whatever these teams have as far as tricks. I think we're going to we're going to see something Saturday. I mean, I, I, I'll be disappointed if we don't see a trick play Saturday. So again, Michigan, Michigan State goes without saying, but we'll reemphasize it here. That'll be a noon start on Fox here at Spartan Stadium in East Lansing. Both Adam and I will be here. The Great Lakes Divide united for one day to cover this grand game. Always looking forward to it. People had October 20th circle on their calendars going back to the end of last season. And here we are, and we'll have much more on that game breakdown coming up, as I mentioned, on Friday. With Adam Biggers, I'm Ryan Schuling. You're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast. The music that you hear coming in, coming out, the music beds for tributes to Chase Winovich are brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. You can stop on by south of downtown Lansing on Washington. It's on the west side of the street. Take a journey back through time. All the latest, greatest on vinyl, all the all-time hits as well. Heather Frary there, her staff ready to serve you. Check them out, would you? How about before this game, on Friday or Saturday after the game, you could come on over. It's not that far from East Lansing. Straight shot from Kalamazoo, the record lounge in Rio Town. That goes for you Michigan fans, too. Uh, looking back again on this Michigan-Wisconsin game, Adam, I had trepidations about, you know, where is Wisconsin? Who is Wisconsin? Are they any good? Yeah, they won at Iowa. And maybe Iowa's the best team in the West. I'll get to that in a moment. But they lost at home to BYU. They get absolutely pummeled at Michigan. Question for you. Did this game say more about what Wisconsin is not or about what Michigan is? I think it's more about what Michigan is because we didn't – We yeah, in fairness, there were some questions about Wisconsin, right? But were people really looking – at Wisconsin as a serious contender, I think that it's a foregone conclusion that, I mean, you know, we're looking at four teams in the East in the beginning of the year, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. Those were the ones that were going to win the Big Ten. Whoever was in the West was just going to have the consolation prize of playing in the Big Ten championship game. So I think it says more about Michigan. Um, Wisconsin's a good team, not a horrible team, but it goes and gets pounded at Michigan. We were looking at Michigan as this is a good team on the verge. Can it be can it be an excellent team? Is this a very good team? You know, is this a plus plus? Where where are these guys going? So I I think in terms of measuring, you know, upside and potential, I think this game said a lot more about Michigan because now look at if you look at Michigan and going back to the one loss thing. Now if you look at Michigan, okay, it's got a 20, 20 unanswered points, come from behind, gut check road win at Northwestern. It's got the blowout win. Um over a good conference team at home that Notre Dame loss does not look bad at all. And I mean, mm-hmm. then you got some other stat stuffing games, you know, you blew, you, you blew out Nebraska. I, my question about Michigan was not only the offensive line, but can it blow out a team? Good teams can beat good teams. We know that really good teams though can go blow out good teams. So that's kind of, that's my uh, rationale when I think, yeah, I, th- I think Saturday said more about Michigan than it did Wisconsin. There are three Big Ten teams in, in all likelihood that still have a path to the college football playoff. Michigan and Ohio State are two of them as a one-loss team and an undefeated team, respectively. 
Iowa's the other. Iowa lost at home to Wisconsin. They don't have a big win yet, though. I mean, these are Iowa's wins. Northern Illinois, Iowa State, Northern Iowa. They play all the teams from Iowa they can. At Minnesota, at Indiana. Those are their wins. Their, the remaining schedule, they have to go to Penn State in a couple of weeks. They're at home against Maryland this Saturday. That's a noon start on ESPN2. But at Penn State, at Purdue, home Northwestern, at Illinois, home Nebraska. I guess it stands to reason, Adam. I doubt this will happen. I'm not high in Iowa at all. But if the Hawkeyes do win out and find a way and get to Indianapolis and beat either Michigan, Ohio State, or Michigan State, can they still get to the playoff? They're ranked number 18 right now. I'm sorry, who can Iowa get to the playoff? Yes. I know. I don't think so. I don't think anybody out of the West. I mean, win out and then blow out whoever you have in the Big Ten championship game. No, but I think I think, I mean, the Big Ten's best chance of a playoff team is going to be uh, Ohio State. I mean, mid- Saturday is going to say say a lot with Michigan or Michigan State or, or Ohio State. I mean, I, those are the three that I'm looking at. And I think one of those three, I mean, I don't want to discount Penn State, but let's face it, the odds aren't stacked in Penn State's favor. And with that loss uh, at home against Michigan State and then already losing to Ohio State, I mean, that's going to need some major, major help. So, um I think whoever's in the East, I mean, the only way I, th- I see Iowa going to the playoff is, like I said, just running like a bat out of hell for the rest of the season and then blowing out whoever they face in the Big Ten Championship game because a win over a really good Michigan team or a really good Michigan State team or, or Ohio State, that looks favorable. And, I mean, teams are going to fall. The season's not over yet. You know, we're halfway through it. There's going to be some – uh, some teams that stubbed their toes. I mean, we saw West Virginia get a loss. West Virginia was, I think, in the was number five or number six uh, before that loss. So, I mean, the playoff picture is going to, you know, take better shape later, as you know. But, um, I mean, just for the sake of theory, Iowa against, give me Michigan State, Michigan, or Ohio State, and I'm I'm taking all those teams over Iowa. So, yeah, I think the only way Iowa gets in, it's got to just uh, – make a massive run through the rest of its schedule, put up some points, be impressive, get a little bit of help from some other teams, and then really give it to, you know, whoever, you know, potentially it faces in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I misspoke earlier. They're 19th in one poll, 22nd in the other. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's frustrating for, let's say, a Michigan State fan base that sees in Iowa that they do have a glimmer of a chance. It's a long shot. I mean, take out the fact that it's not likely to happen, but with one loss, it could happen. For Michigan State, with their second loss against Northwest, that's it. They're not going to get in the playoff. However, they spoiled any hope that Penn State have had of getting in the playoff. They're done. They could spoil Michigan's hope of getting in the college football playoff with a win on Saturday. They would be done. They could catapult Ohio State, and even if the Buckeyes don't lose another game, MSU could take away the chance for the Buckeyes to get to the Big Ten championship game with a home win. Game's in East Lansing. They'd be done. And then let's say they get there, and it's a repeat of 2015, Michigan State-Iowa. Iowa steamrolls, like Adam says, gets to the title game, and, oh, by the way, Michigan State wins that one. They're done. So the Spartans will have then ended the dreams under that scenario of four Big Ten teams getting the playoffs and then including themselves, lighting themselves on fire with the losses to Arizona State and Northwestern, and yet they could still go to the Rose Bowl. It's just an interesting kind of calculus from here, Adam, because I don't think Michigan State 
is as bad as the 4-2 and two record or the two losses that we've seen. They just haven't played up to their potential. But we did finally see that in Happy Valley against Penn State. And it's really hard to figure out this Spartan team right now. Yeah, and I think this goes, I mean, I almost feel like okay, one loss and then boom, your, your chances for a national championship are, are diminished. I mean, I do want to see an expanded playoff. So I, th- I think eight teams uh, would be adequate. I know Harbaugh's lobbied for 16. I think eight would be would be adequate. And, I mean, let's just say that, you know, Michigan State beats it. Let's say that Michigan State, I'm running wild with the scenario here, um, you know, meets Iowa in the in the Big Ten championship game. And then if Michigan State wins the Big Ten championship, well, okay, well, you got a Power Five conference champion. Are you going to leave it out of the playoff? Well, it looks it depends what other people look like. But, I mean, um, yeah, this is it, – it's, it's wild how much of a – how much of a difference one or two losses can make. And I mean, and we're, you know, how good would a one loss, you know, in reality, how good is a one loss Iowa team against, let's say Michigan state finishes with two losses uh, this year. Let's say Michigan finishes with one loss and based on strength of schedule and everything like that. I mean, it's a a comparatively speaking, it's not comparable uh, really, but I mean, yeah, if you're an Iowa fan, you're a Michigan state fan right now too, because you want to see the Spartans, blow up as many as possible and try to clear a road for the Hawkeyes. Very improbable, but yeah, I guess, I mean, you are right in a sense. Uh, what what if we, Ryan, we got to we gotta save this. Obviously, it'll be recorded. What if we are talking about Iowa in the college football playoff? I will, That'll blow my mind. <laughs> well, they would have made it uh, back in 2015 when the Spartans made it. Had Iowa won that game instead, the Hawkeyes would have been in. That was kind of a play-in game, if you'll recall, back in Indianapolis and, and what a game it was. And, of course, for the current top 25 on either side, college football uh, playoff rankings won't come out for a, a few more weeks now. But pretty clear that if they started today, it would be Alabama-Notre Dame in one semifinal bowl matchup, Ohio State-Clemson in the other. And a lot of what we're talking about here is going to depend on, well, what happens with the SEC in Alabama. Georgia right now would definitely be on the outside looking in with their loss. LSU getting that win is in good shape, as good as any one-loss team, including Michigan. Those two are kind of hand-in-hand, in my opinion. They'd have to play their way in. They get Alabama, by the way, in Baton Rouge. Coach O, I love Coach Ogero. He going to get the job done. Looking forward to that one. Was that Waterboy or Ed? That, that sounded a little Waterboy-ish, too. It's, well, they're both. I think they're related. Ray, yeah, uh, no bigger, let me clarify, though. No bigger fan of Coach O than me. He's one of my favorite coach in the country, I think, outside the state of Michigan for sure. But uh, Clemson, if they roll uh, through the ACC, they're in. If Notre Dame goes undefeated, they don't have to worry about a conference championship game. I think they're in. And then, of course, Ohio State controls their own destiny, and they should, as much as both Michigan and Michigan State fans hate to hear that. Back to Michigan, though, now, Adam. Uh, About your interaction with Coach Harbaugh, uh, I got the vibe from what was going on the Twitterverse that he wasn't in a very talkative mood through media availability yesterday. Uh, Take us through uh, what you heard from him, if it was different than other weeks, and why that was the case, if so. Well, he wasn't answering rah-rah questions. If you're there to get a soundbite, he knows who's there on a regular basis and the new faces who are there, you know, to get get the soundbite for TV. So he uh, acted accordingly. He actually did talk. If you wanted to ask him about football, um, he'd open up and give you a good answer. I asked him about Nick Eubanks. I asked him about Michigan State's trick plays. He had a short answer for that, but I mean, on alert. I don't know how much more he can elaborate for on that. So, 
the conference call, though, was short, which was kind of the most surprising thing to me because I figured there'd be a bunch of people hopping on there to try to get whatever they could from them. And they're, they're eight-minute slots, and he answered three questions in four minutes. And then, you know, they had to remind, hey, if you want to ask a question, press a prompt. It's usually people are lined up for it. So I don't think that he wasn't untalkative during his Monday press conference. He was clearly focused. But he wasn't gonna. He wasn't really gonna give in to anything that was gonna give a rah rah. I mean, it's it's questions like, like you go back when you mentioned Chase Winovich, and you know some guys. No matter what the question, some guys you already know how they're gonna answer because they're like pre-programmed. With Chase Winovich, you never know what you're gonna get. I mean, when you ask Harbaugh, what does Michigan State mean? I mean, you know what he's gonna say. I mean, you'd be more surprised if he said, "Well, you know, I don't think this is a very big game." Of course, it's a big game course it means a lot and so those kind of questions you know year in year out this is his fourth time with us as a coach I imagine it gets a little bit repetitive me being there hearing the same and hearing three people ask the same question slightly worded differently consecutively I can imagine where it gets a little bit boring but I mean he did uh he did answers one tidbit I got from it um Actually, Ryan, which I thought was pretty valuable, and I think people who really follow Michigan football and really into it want to know this kind of stuff. Nick Eubanks actually helped change a blocking scheme, so that was a that was a tidbit, you know, a, a Harbaugh detail that he doesn't always offer up. So I thought that, that was an interesting bit from it. But yeah, there wasn't any rah rah stuff. It's a big game. He said it. It means a lot. It means the same as it always has, always will, and you know, whatever else he said. That was it. All right, well, let's go to that soundbite from Adam uh, asking Coach Harbaugh the question uh, here on the teleconference. Here's that audio right now. Hey, Jim, going back to uh, when we saw Joe on Saturday, does that indicate a jump for Joe to the number three quarterback spot and Brandon at number four now? Uh, No. Uh, Joe has had some opportunities to play in the game and um, you know, everybody that we everybody we have really on the roster is a possibility to to play and and that's doesn't mean that there was a depth chart change though. And if I could follow up, I I know you said that you're not talking about injuries. I, I guess you mean maybe current injuries though. Is is BP still is is Peter still banged up? With the right leg thing? No. No. Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. And, of course, you're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast. Also, Adam, I want to give you a chance uh, to showcase the personal matchups, the Civil War nature of this upcoming game. You had a chance to talk to Ambry Thomas. You mentioned not a good poker player, doesn't hold a lot back. He was high school teammates at Detroit King with Tyreek Thompson of Michigan State. Uh, what was that interaction like? Take us through it, if you would, please. Ambry is always a uh, – Ryan, you remember at Notre Dame when I asked him about if they were going to incorporate him on offense, and he gave a real short answer and kind of kind of smiled. Then we asked him about uh, – geez, I forgot what else it was – about how many plays he was asking on offense. And if you remember Chris Tucker, do you remember the comedian Chris Tucker and his facial expression? I do. Ambry Thomas, yeah. almost a dead ringer for this guy. It's hilarious, the the, the, the mannerism. Ambry's a great interview. The, the video's on my YouTube channel, a full interview. But here, 
He's talking about Tyreek Thompson, their former Detroit Martin Luther King teammates. Tyreek, a couple years older than him. Uh, Ambry looks at him like a big brother. Uh, but as you'll as you'll soon find out from this audio clip, uh, Tyreek's a stranger this week <laughs> to, to Ambry. <laughs> and uh, this is why. You guys went to high school together. Yeah, yeah. Detroit King. Uh, how, how good of friends are you? I mean, were you guys pretty good oh, yeah. friends in high school? Oh, yeah, that's like a, uh, I look up to him like my older brother. Every time I go up there. I'm, I'm with him all the time. Yeah, now I don't know him right now, though. <laughs> what is this? I mean, the stiff arm photo, I mean. Huh? What does he have to say about the stiff arm photo? He said he's coming for me, but we're going to see. <laughs> Ambry Thomas talking about his counterpart, now his adversary in Tyreek Thompson. Now, I would ask Tyreek about his side of this. However, Michigan State went full Harbaugh into the submarine this week. The only availability media had was in a very sterile press conference setting and only with the three captains, Brian Lewerke, Joe Bocci, Kari Willis. We'll get to some of that sound in just a little bit. But, Adam, you had a chance again on the conference call to ask Coach D'Antonio a question. And, of course, uh, he was participating in his one media availability with the press conference on Tuesday this week. Shortly after that is when he joined the conference call with you. What did you ask him and why? And uh, what stood out to you about his response? Uh, well, there were, there were a couple. And, and Mark, Mark's always pretty good on these conference calls. You know, it, again, it, all these coaches, it depends on, on your level of interest, their level of familiarity with you the context of your question. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that I, that I asked him pretty good questions. So he gave me pretty good answers. I, I wanted to know what he thought about it. I mean, get, look, we all know about Michigan's road record, rivalry record. It's on the road this year in, in East Lansing. What does Michigan's 20 to 17 come from behind win at Northwestern have to say about these guys? So Mark answered that for me. And then also about, um, you know, I mentioned to Mark that I mentioned to Harbaugh, Michigan State success in trick plays. So Mark kind of outlines that a little bit and uh, discusses uh, discusses the use and execution of said play. So here's, here's Coach D'Antonio um, speaking about Michigan's ability to come back and on this uh, ever-popular trick play uh, topic. Good afternoon, Mark. Um, just talking with Harbaugh on Monday and mentioning your guys' success with trick plays. He said they're, they're going to be on alert. Does that serve as, I know you've talked about trick plays in the past and your use of them, but does it serve as some sort of mental advantage in a rivalry game where you know that Michigan has to be on alert uh, for some type of trickery? Well, I think it's, you know, I'm on alert for their trickery. Let's just put it that way. So I think that's the nature of coaching. You just always are trying to prevent things, and, uh, I mean, it sort of goes back and forth. It's always usually about execution. If I could follow up real quick with, uh, given their road record and it being in East Lansing this year, I know statistically there's an advantage for you, but does Michigan's 20-point comeback or 20, 20 unanswered points at Northwestern on the road, uh, what does that say about them? Does that serve as any sort of concern? Well, I, I think what it says about them is that they have a, they, they have a, a, a great belief system um, they're very well coached, and that they, they can um, sustain and come back. And uh, you know that's that's an attribute that um, that I think everybody would, everybody, whether you're playing football or otherwise, would enjoy having said about them. So I thought that was, you know, outstanding. 
Michigan State head coach Mark D'Antonio. We'll have more from him coming up in part two of today's midweek podcast. Once again, the Great Lakes Divide with Adam Biggers. I'm Ryan Schuling. Uh, I want to ask one question. This has been sticking out to me. And, and since you brought up the comeback against Northwestern, I hate the transit of property. It rarely applies in college football. There are some teams, some matchups, some coaches, for whatever reason, have another coach's number. And that seems to be the case with Pat Fitzgerald winning three straight years against Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio. It's the one shared common opponent that these two schools have to date, Adam. And you mentioned it. Michigan was down 17-0, had to come back almost in historic fashion to win that game on the road 20 to 17 Michigan State gets beat at home 29-19 by those same Northwestern Wildcats I guess I'll just ask it from this standpoint is Northwestern a whole hell of a lot better than their three and three record indicates I mean I think so right and and really and you said it best I mean matchup wise I mean look if you say uh I mean Michigan State's been pretty good over the past few years I mean you know minus the three and nine season but three straight wins I mean Northwest is that does that mean Northwestern football is better than Michigan State football? No, that just means the Northwestern football, for whatever reason, matches up really favorably against the Spartans in the past few years. It's happened. I mean, even when they don't win, Ryan, how many barn burners, regardless of the season and records, how many close games, exciting games have we seen Michigan State and Northwest? We saw Michigan State with that record college football record comeback against Northwestern. Um, trying to remember what year that. How many notes? What ten years ago ten now? Years ago, oh, well, yeah, a while ago. You know which I'm talking. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. So I mean, for whatever reason, Northwestern and Michigan State just seem to have that that type of little relationship going on. I don't think Northwestern's a horrible team. Any team that could put Michigan in a twenty point hole is not a horrible team. Michigan's a good team, and again, yeah, the transitive property, like you said, rarely applies. I mean, I know that we'd like to talk about it, and it is a common opponent. But no, I don't think Northwestern just like. The same, the same con- kind of conversation popped up as you know when Michigan State fans would bring up, oh well, Michigan almost lost to Northwestern, and it was a week before you know going into when Northwestern did beat Michigan State. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think Northwestern is is as bad as its record indicates. I think Northwestern, put it this way, you ask Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan State or Michigan or any coach in the Big Ten. And I mean, if you have a, a nice season cooking, you got some things going along, what's a team that you don't want to play? What's a team that's going to definitely throw some kind of monkey wrench in your in your stuff? That's Northwestern. I mean, so that's what Northwestern does what Northwestern does. Not a bad team at three and three. It's a it's a good team. Solid coach uh, by Pat Fitzgerald. Got a solid quarterback in Clayton Thorson. That was a common factor. Clayton Thorson was able to get hot, complete seven passes in a row against Michigan and have his way in the first half. Clayton Thorson was able to do some things against Michigan State secondary. So, no, to answer your question, no, Northwestern is not a bad football team. And, yes, it is better than its 3-3 three and three record indicates. Once again, the Great Lakes Divide podcast brought to you by Federal Williams. That's F-E-D-E-R-A-U, Williams.com. With Adam Biggers, I'm Ryan Schuling. We appreciate you tuning in. Part two, straight ahead. Make sure to download and subscribe via the iTunes search engine, Great Lakes Divide podcast. In the-